Welcome to the Research and Focus podcast. I'm Susan O'Neill, the Associate Dean Academic and Research for the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. This podcast focuses on in-depth interviews and conversations with our faculty members on their research activities and the impacts of their work locally and worldwide. Hello, this is Foster Rani, the new interviewer at Research and Focus. Earlier this term, I caught up with Dr. Natalia Gadamashko for the following interview. In this conversation, Dr. Gadamashko describes the context and tradition of cultural historical activity theory, a school of thought and developmental psychology based on the early work of Lev Vygotsky and Alexander Luria. She also describes highlights of her past work and possible future directions. Hi, I'm Foster Rani. Uh, my name is Natalia Gadamashko. And this is the Research and Focus podcast. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Gadamashko. Welcome. Now, it's a pleasure to be interviewing you. Uh, I would like to ask you a couple of questions about your recent work and your research history, if you'd be so kind as to, uh, to tell us a story uh, for the next half hour or so. That would be uh, very pleasant. I am a Vygotskian psychologist. I was trained in Moscow University, Moscow, Soviet Union. For people who may not have heard about Vygotsky, it's a Russian educational theorist, Russian psychologist, whose theory has um, transferred through the ocean and acquired a few nicknames. We, the scholars in this tradition typically called ourselves cultural historical activity theory, social cultural theory, activity theorists, and um, the main idea of Vygotsky theory was to take into account culture when we talk about learning and development. And there was, of course, much more sophisticated framework he created. But in, in a nutshell, he is very interesting for those people who would like to analyze the role of culture in development of human being and, and also, also analyze any cultural and historical aspects of learning, teaching, and development. I do a lot of theoretical research, but I also try to apply Vygotsky theory in the current um, educational setting in Canadian landscape. Well, I have a couple of questions, one about the background and one about your work. So uh, the first that I wanted to ask was, I understand Vygotskyan theory and that whole body of research and work. It took a while to cross the ocean. It wasn't right away, like Piaget, for example, got to North America pretty quickly. So um, what was what was going on there? Why did Vygotskyan theory sort of make a wave, in, if I remember correctly, uh, around the end of the 70s, at least in the English-speaking world? Um, well, th- there's a few things going on. First of all, we need to talk about the Vygotsky himself and... And the legacy of his work turned a tragic sort of turn when Stalin uh, issued the, the degree. Remember the guy, the, the bad guy named Stalin? I remember the gentleman yeah, with yeah. the mustache, yes. yes. Uh, there was a degree issued in which, Vag- yeah, in which Vygotsky's work and work of his followers was uh, forbidden in Soviet Union. Completely forbidden. It was completely forbidden. His books were purged from libraries, and uh, the only way we uh, preserve Vygotsky's legacy was through the oral history of his students, of his family, 
uh, as a matter of fact, his daughter, Gita Vygotskaya, who was my personal friend, spent entire life uh, trying to preserve Vygotsky, um sort of books and Vygotsky work. And, and, and that sort of <laughs> complicated a little bit um, the situation because people who eventually brought Vygotsky to North America and to the world discourse were people like Mike Cole and Jim Wirch. And you're right, it was way too late. And so for, for part of the history, Vygotsky works were practically unknown to, to the scholars around the world. Wow, that's quite a history. I'm glad to hear from someone with, with such a personal connection to his, to his lineage. It's, it's really a privilege to, uh, to get to hear about the work from Close to the source. It was a privilege for me to be a Gita Swagotsky friend because I got to hear a lot of anecdotes about his life and and, and, and then a lot of sad stories about how they tried to preserve his legacy in the very difficult and very dangerous circumstances. But it was, uh, you know, we were, we were lucky to have people like um, Dr. Michael Cole who went to Russia, and he was a uh, graduate student of uh, Luria, and L- Alexander Romanovich Luria was a Vygotsky friend and colleague. So that's how, through the personal sort of enthusiasm and perseverance, we, we get to know Vygotsky in an English text, in the English world. The first book which Michael Cole published, Vygotsky book, you probably know, it's called Mind in Society, yes. and it was published by Harvard Press. And it was mainly because Michael Cole and his um, co-editors were, you know, trying to promote Vygotsky work in North America, which has a solid arguments against the Piaget and theory of development. And the, in a nutshell, it's an interesting historical fact that Piaget and Vygotsky were drastically opposite in answering one question. And the question was, what leads what? Learning leads development or development leads learning? This question is very important for teachers or anyone else who deals with learning and development and two different processes. And that's not easy question to answer. No, I suppose not. So I'd love to ask, what was some of the work that you really cherish that you've been able to do uh, here at SFU or, or before if you want to talk about that as well? Well, as you probably noticed, I'm, I'm pretty keen to just discussing Vygotsky theory in comparison to uh, different other frameworks, right? Yeah, so it's, 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 it's a lot of nuances, and partially early on it was just a nuances in translations when from both Russian and English discourses to, to, to really interpret it without misconception. Definitely. That allows you to find a translation and I hope it can capture the conceptual use of the words as they were used in Vygotsky's era and render it into a form that the English reader would understand. Yes, exactly. And part of it is also understanding the context for which Vygotsky, you know, in which Vygotsky operated himself. So, it's, again, it's not only a translational issue. So it's a matter of understanding the ideas he had, you know, for his own development as a scholar. After all, the, the Russian psychologists of Vygotsky's era might have used some words that are still in use today, but used them for different concepts or with different, with different nuance, with different attachment to other technical or scientific jargon. I, I wouldn't know as a reader if I were to pick up Mind in Society today whether it was translated accurately or, 
were misleading me. Yeah, well, you wouldn't know until you would learn the theory itself, right? Then you can probably understand. I, I'll give you one quick example, if, if you would like, and it's to do with the word activity. In education, we always use the word, you know, we use the word learning activities, right? Classroom activities, learning activities. But if you learn that there's an activity theory, which was created by Vygotsky colleague Leontiev, right? And then you will start understanding that the lay person using the word activity, or even the teachers in North America using activity, say nothing to you about activity theory as a very serious uh, sort of methodological approach to understand human activities. Uh, and, and part of the difficulties to understand what activity is is you can understand it without understanding things like dialectical materialism, historical materialism, a little bit of Marx. And if you start going there, the North American teachers at this point start screaming, saying, you know, people using the word learning activities, but they're using them in a totally different sense and using it applying totally different meaning to it. That's why it's so difficult to... Um, introduce Vygotsky and activity theory and, and Luria into North American discourse. Right? It, it's, it's not so difficult, it just requires a lot of background and a lot of theoretical explanation. So it requires a lot of work, in other words. Does it become difficult if a North American scholar finds out they need to understand Marx to understand Vygotsky? Do they see it that way? Uh, no, because a lot of people are just trying to understand what we practically talk about when we talk about play activity is not learning activity. But there is a methodological consideration be behind uh, us saying play activity and learning activity. Yeah, those sound like technical uses of play and learning, whereas if, I, if I'm speaking colloquially, I might not make such a strong distinction. So. Yeah, because you don't know the theory of play activity and theory of learning activity according to the activity theory, right? So it's a, it's a very uh, eloquent and very elegant theory of play, which is very useful once you understand it. Well, I noticed that you authored at least one paper about play, and I, I was going to say play and learning, but now I don't know whether that would be accurate. Is uh, Would you like to take this opportunity to describe some of this theory? I'd would love to hear more. Uh, for example, one of the statements in the play activity is uh, the play activity is viewed as a developmental activity. And by developmental means there is something, some new formations, as we call them, are appearing in play which cannot appear elsewhere. For, for, for example, things like self-regulation, it's a new formation which appears only when a child engages in childhood play activity. And then um, the other things like imagination appears in play for the first time when the child has to develop symbolic functions to use a stick instead of horse, right? So to use a stick instead of horse, you're developing symbols, symbolic functions, which later on in learning activity, for example, the same symbolic functions are very useful when you try to teach a child to read, right? But um, the, there is a strong developmental distinctions about the value of play 
from the point of view of this new formation. So the, the idea goes like this. Once you develop self-regulation, once you develop imagination, you don't need to play that much. You, you cease to do play activities. And what you need to do in the next developmental level, you need to um, move into learning activities. And in learning activities, you utilize the previous new formations, the capacities you developed, but you develop something else. For example, in learning activity, the main um, new formation, things you could not do before, is development of conceptual thought. So what uh, happens all the time if you don't understand development this way, you don't understand that play activity must cease to exist and must give place and rise to learning activities, you would continue to do things like saying play is the best way of learning when it's applied to curriculum of grade 9 or 10, which I have a big problem with because not self-respected teenager will say that you have to treat them as if they're still playing, role-playing, as as if they were like five or six years old, right? So you, you definitely have to craft their curriculum using very different principles. But I hear from North American teachers in my experience all the time that if only we can cease to create learning activities and then move everything into the play world, our education will be that much more pleasant and that much more productive which theoretically I just strongly disagree with. It's, it's, it's not. You have to understand learning activities. for They have a very different structure, and they're not play activities. So there's no reason to develop, bring play activities into the um, middle school or high school. The idea here is until you understand the nature of play and its role, in the human development, you cannot see its pedagogical implications, right? And the same goes from learning activities, right? So the North American teachers don't have this methodological concept to think with, so they're constantly mixing and matching different things as if, you know, everything goes. So I can see there's some uh, debate about what kind of curriculum would be ideal based on these different approaches. And the theoretical backgrounds are, are totally different, too. It sounded like from your descriptions of how play could be viewed as a developmental activity that leads to acquiring these functions like self-regulation, um, the symbolic function. People learn these during play, then they can apply them for learning activities later. I know that Vygotsky did empirical observations as, as a basis of his work, but I'm wondering what kind of work has been done since then to uh, to compare these methods, to describe these processes in action, and to see what development looks like when play is allowed to lead to learning activity. Or do these learning activities have to be more introduced, um, practiced with uh, an elder or guide, uh, structuring that next level of development? Uh, yeah, just to help you to think about this learning activities versus play activities, a lot of times there is like a opposite mistakes. The teacher is trying to bring and infuse lots of content into the early childhood play activities. 
because they think, I mean, they were told that play is the best way to learn. So, so they tried to teach four-year-olds to read in play, right, for example. Which is, again, another confusion as if to what play activities are devoted to. Play activities are not the places in which child learn the content of the subject matter. Right? Play activities are developmental activities for a child to be ready to learn that content much later on. For example, self-regulation development is helpful because then you can concentrate on learning activities later on. If you don't develop self-regulation, you can concentrate, right? You can self-regulate. So part of what sort of moving play into the high school or moving high school into the early childhood educational setting. That's the biggest sort of theoretical mistakes which I can see happening because people don't think through deeply enough of what play is and how play activities is and what learning activities is, right? As to your second part of the question about empirical things, of course in our culture historical activity theory special interest group. We have a SIC at the American Education Research Association. To answer your question, there are attempts to take Vygotskyan hypothesis, theoretical things, and try to see how it works out in, in the current education setting in North America. To my taste, it's not enough of those studies, if you ask me. So if you would if we ever get today to your question, what I want to do in the future, that's exactly <laughs> what my answer would be. I almost feel like my job and job of my colleagues in explaining theoretical premises. It's not that it's done, but it had been improved in North American discourse. So what's the job now is to get more empirical support for for the same, you know, Culture historical activity theory, but yeah, t- the short answer is a lot of my colleagues are doing the empirical research using the methodology of Vygotsky and Leontief and Luria. Well, I understand there's a lot of work to be done in terms of theoretical clarification, and I can see the value of that kind of work in the description, the answer you just gave about uh, play and learning activities, because uh, teachers could easily have more or less muddled thinking where we have these sort of everyday concepts like play or learning which are rather vague in in practice and don't have a theoretical grounding and so uh, people can mix these together and find themselves for example trying to trying to teach content through play when play is there to to build those psychological functions that will allow the person to take in and master the content later I could definitely see the problem there now that you've uh, described it in more detail and so shown how these play out. I had one question just about um, the value of doing that theoretical work and clarifying things theoretically, but I wonder if you'd actually rather talk about what work you're planning to do in the future. I hope to continue to do what I'm doing, just using a very powerful construct from Vygotsky theory and trying to, A, illustrate how helpful it is for thinking about pedagogical and you know, issues in curriculum in the current current schooling setting and be trying to make it in some sense operational for teachers. The teachers I teach at Simon Fraser University, right? So so it's a twofold work. And first of all to teach them about theory and second of all to to help teachers to think about their own practice using the construct from Vygotsky theory, right? So so my hope is 
to continue in that direction. Now, I'll give you one actual current example. I'm working right now with this new, uh, you probably heard about new BC curriculum, which is conceptual-based curriculum and a competency-based curriculum, right? So there's a few competencies which this new BC curriculum uh, tried to achieve. And one of the competencies is uh, critical thinking, developing critical thinking. It's not always clear what critical thinking means. It's the same story, like I was just telling stories. It's not always clear for teachers what the play activity is or what learning is, right? Or what's developing is. So now uh, teachers... uh, approaching developing these competences of the critical thinking competences. So I think Vygotsky is extremely useful here because it's Vygotsky's main book, which he wrote. Um, It's called Thinking and Speech. And in this uh, book, he described conceptual development of children in such a profound way that I think if I am only to teach one book for my entire life or on some island and I have no library and have no internet connection, I will choose this Vygotskian book and I think I will have a very good teachers as a result of learning of conceptual development through Vygotsky lens. And so before we're approaching the concept of what critical thinking is, one would have to ask yourself, question what thinking is. Oh, sure. Right, so, and then anytime I ask this question in a class full of teachers or future teachers, it's always this, huh, wait a moment, (laughs) (laughs) can you define thinking, right? And then what do they do? And then we start learning about Vygotsky theory of conceptual development and the unit of language and thinking, the word, is the unit has double citizenship, right? One leg is in the language world, another leg is in the thinking world. So this way we understand gradually, of course, it's not easy to understand this relationship, how important is language development is, because language is a tool for thinking. Right? The Vygotsky theory is very interesting. It starts with very high... Uh, philosophical construct, but very quickly it arises to the very practical theory, because very quickly teachers start to understand and see the connection between, for example, language and thinking. And that's the work I'm hoping to continue to do. Now, when we talk about critical thinking through a Vygotskyan lens, we have first this basic Vygotskyan insight that uh, regarding the use of tools and the use of tools in social practice as a foundation for the functions that, if, I, if I'm if i reading correctly my chapter and verse here, that um, they are sort of assumed and become psychological functions. Some people use the word internalized. I'm not really comfortable relating Vygotskyan theory if I were put on the lecture podium because I don't know the translations, I don't know whether I'm using the words correctly. And some of the words, I think he just didn't get around to defining exactly how he was using them during his lifetime. Um, so, how do we get from tools or the functions that we that we accomplish through tool use uh, being internalized into psychological functions? How do we get from that to practical studies of critical thinking? One of the examples Vygotsky would use, he would distinguish between everyday concepts and systemic and scientific concepts, right? Uh, the the origination of two types of concepts is different. Everyday concepts child uh, children acquire by 
observing everyday situation or situation of their life so many times that they can actually generalize some um, trends and consistencies of this situation, right? So they can, uh, and they, they can create what we call everyday concepts. Uh, Vygotsky had this, <laughs> which I think is a very powerful idea, that not all concepts internalized by us or come to our mind uh, through the everyday immediate surrounding. He had the idea that cultural concepts or, or systemic concepts could be only introduced to the mind of a child through the teachers explaining the meaning of it. And he said the systemic concepts are not open into the child's everyday surrounding. In other words, there are so many concepts in the culture that not every concept you can live through. Right? So you cannot experience a lot of concepts. And the only way you can learn about them is some other cultural agent, a teacher or more experienced peer, an expert, who already understand the meaning of that concept, can simply explain this concept to you. And the part of the problem and the trick here is that those systemic concepts, or he calls them scientific concepts, they are... Um, tied in some particular system of knowledge together. So in other words, to explain one concept, you have to draw on the meaning and definition of another concept. So th there's a difficulties here for a child to enter that system of concept by themselves without someone um, helping with the meanings of this concept. That's where the teacher's uh, role is prominent. Right? I see. Well, that makes a lot of sense practically. So part of the problems with everyday concepts are that because they are acquired through the observation or immediate surroundings, they, they're not very critical. They're not acquired with a critical eye. Right? They have this episodic nature, and they may serve you well in a very narrow context, but it does not help you to see the connection to some other system of knowledge, right? And uh, what Vygotsky suggests here is that the systemic concepts, they are by nature, because they're already introducing the meaning through the larger system of meanings in the subject knowledge, right, in the system of uh, knowledge. They are by nature embedding in themselves some critical eye. So I'll give you an example. Uh, child learn how to speak, Right? and how to convey a message, and how to be a good narrator through everyday concepts. So child is you know, surrounding by language, talking to, this, to a child family, and, and by the time child is approximately six years old, child is a great narrator, know how to convey any message child wants to convey, right? and arrives at the doorstep in school, uh, thinking that uh, he or she knows everything is to know about language, right? Over a sudden, uh, a teacher introduces a blank piece of paper and a pen and invites a child to write about child's experiences, right? So now, writing is a systemic concept. Right? Written language is different from oral language because written language came to us as a cultural tool, right, and has all kind of systemic uh, characteristics. You need to know grammar, you need to know syntaxes, you need to know 
coding and decoding. So there's a lot of things to learn about this cultural tool, right? And child naturally, A, is not capable to learning spontaneously because child doesn't know the system. Right. <laughs> and so the teacher needs to explain how do we do coding and decoding, how do we do phonemic hearing, how, why we do this, what symbolic function is, why this would stand for this object, and, and why we understand the meaning of this written language as a system. Right. So here's the example of Vygotsky brought. Is he said, that, well, for the first time in the child lives, when child is invited into the systemic concept of understanding, child do not think with language. Child start to think about language. Right. And once you start to think about language, because you need to understand written language, you acquire a critical eye. You look at it not as a spontaneous tool which you acquired as oral language, right? You become analyzing, and you need to compare, and you need to think critically about what did I wrote on this piece of paper. Well, the problem with people who don't understand the difference between everyday concept and systemic concept is that they think the child can learn writing spontaneously. So what they do is they surround the child with the writing task, but without helping them with the tools and understanding how different this cultural tool is. Problem. We have a lot of kids who have huge dif difficulties learning how to read and write, just because the tool which they now to learn in school is a systemic concept tool. I hope it explains why it's so important to understand Vygotsky's theory of thinking. For example, in, in this particular example, difference between everyday concept and systemic concept, before teacher is tasked with teaching critical thinking. Can do it until you understand the nature of thinking itself. And this does clarify also somewhat the role of how, the role of the teacher and what kind of work the teacher needs to do in relation to the child, as opposed to simply putting them in the position of a caretaker who's going to be held responsible or tasked with uh, teaching the child, but doesn't necessarily have clarity about what that role uh, would look like if they were to accomplish it well. Yes, it's not only on the nature and nurture side. I mean, it's way too wide of the framework for our discussion. But it's, it's to do with everyday child experiences in this cultural world in which school is equipped to invite the child with, right? So I, I prefer it's a little bit narrower divide between, say, if someone is learning... Uh, oh, my, my favorite question what a castle and fortress is, right? So castle and fortress, it's a favorite only for North American because, uh, Americans because okay. in Europe this question is not, not a question. Children grew up in the backyards of the castle and fortresses, but in North America it's a little bit of puzzled uh, question for teachers. And they say, well, they all look alike, right? They're old, they have kind of architectural uh, similarities, right? And I traveled to Scotland, so I, I saw a lot of castles and fortresses. And, and, and only when you learn history and you understand the historical meaning of the fortress as a military architectural building and, and the castles where the queen and king lives, right? Only if you understand 
this invisible part, not perceptual part. So also, then, then you can understand the the concept of castle, castles and fortresses. A distinction that can't be seen if we visit the building because the king and queen are no longer there unless they're supposed to go to. Yes, so the the part of what everyday life experiences is is so, sort of what Vygotsky said, so it's, it's like it's perceptual world, right? But we also have the world of ideal cultural meanings, right? It's not material world, but it constrains our thinking because we grew up in this culture. So the, this is sort of where Vygotsky comes in and said that you need to have someone, some mediator, to bring a child into the invisible meanings of the objects. And that's a systemic concept. Well, I think that's a beautiful illustration of how the PSAD and Vygotskyan theory leads to practical divergences, a real, real concrete purpose, and, and makes a difference in the student and teacher relationship. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, that's I'm glad you like it. (laughs) Research in Focus podcast is produced by the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. Stay up to date on the faculty by visiting our research website at sfu.ca slash education slash research in focus and by subscribing to us on iTunes. Thank you for listening.